You're listening to the Screeners Podcast Network. Well, hey, everybody, and welcome back to the Geek Card Check. My name is Chris. And I'm Tyler. And I'm Kate. And I'm also super excited that we are discussing the rest of Dune. This is the Dune finale episode, and yes. guess who is back to discuss it with us? Hmm, big secret, right? It's Peter. It's Peter. Oh, it's Peter. yay! Hey, guys. Peter! Welcome back. Welcome back. Thank you. Always nice to join you guys. Very glad to have Peter back, especially since prior to the start of our recording, Chris decided that Peter seems to vaguely-ish, you know, maybe resemble Frank Herbert himself. So we have him here to share ah, it with us. I wasn't even thinking about when I said Frank Herbert, but yes. Uh, that's, <laughs> it's I, I, I it's it. absolutely true. And I would say it's more mannerisms and demeanor more than it is even looks. I just, when, when, I, when I was beginning to research having finished Dune, I thought, well, I want to I want to hear what the man who wrote Dune said about this this work, mm-hmm. and I was like, oh my goodness, this sounds like Peter. Like I was just <laughs> listening to his voice, his his manner is all that. I was like, wow, this is insane. How 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 similar this is. So no pressure, Peter. Uh, yeah, that's right. That's right. No, that's Actually, good. Kate, that's all good. You have married a Gola. That's that's what. I mean, I, I don't know what that is. Something. Oh wait a minute. Sorry, we're spoiling like the next book for Chris. I was going to say, a couple of of books down the road. (laughs) Ah, wow. All right. Sweet. Awesome. Okay. Well, so just a reminder, everyone. um, um, So we're doing Dune, book three, which is basically part three of the original book Dune. We're going to call it part three and book three throughout. So don't get confused. That's what we mean. Um, So for this book, this is Chris's first time through Dune. Um, Peter's coming back to Dune after reading it as a teenager, and Tyler and I have both read it multiple times, sometimes audio, sometimes print. So those are the perspectives that we're coming at today's discussion from. Um, so today we're going to discuss part three, book three. We're going to be looking at where Dune came from. We're going to be looking at its connections to pop culture. And if we have time, we'll be making movie predictions or at least wish lists. Mm-hmm. But before we get started, really quick, Chris, you have yes. now finished your first read of Dune. I have. I have. So what was your gut response to it? Are you glad you read it? Was it worth your time? Just give us a little idea of how you felt about it. I am glad I read Dune. It is something that I knew <laughs> at some point in my life I would have to do to punch my geek card. Uh, you know, like I, I definitely think... Distraction. <laughs> That's right. Well, here's the thing. Um, Dune is, I think at the very beginning we talked about this, is very dense. There's a lot going on. And mm-hmm. I came to this conclusion, um, well, no, I pretty much at the end of the book. And that is that Dune is a book that is interested about, um, about ideas mm-hmm. and not so much actions. The characters are more... more like vessels for ideas than they are actual characters because there are some moments in this book that I became very frustrated with because if they were real characters they'd behave differently but because Frank Herbert wanted them to say something that, that, that got the reader to think about an idea they would do that rather than what a character would do 
in the moment. They would they behaved very odd, very strangely at the very end of this um, of this novel. Um, and you know, honestly, I, I was frustrated by the fact that a lot of the what I would call the action, the 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 actual stuff. Mm-hmm. happened for lack of a better word off screen or off page yes. like it's not even on in the book very frustrating for me because they build up to this moment and then it's like okay we're going over here mm-hmm. and then you know th- there there's even a time shift at the very beginning of book three that i found to be very disorienting but it was more about him exploring an idea rather than characters or actions it's more just they keep Frank really wants you to think. And I enjoy that. In fact, I shared a quote on Twitter um, that I really liked. And I, I like what he's going for. I like his basic ideas. But unfortunately, I just don't find his ver- his characters to be very believable, um, very relatable, um, or even something that I really want to hang on to. It just kind of is more of a uh, an excuse. Mm. Um, but I am glad that I read Dune. Um, it is a confusing book. It is a dense book. Uh, it's like, you know, being dropped off in the forest. Uh, and you know, All I got is a machete, and I'm hoping that I'm going to make it through. I made it to the other side, people, so I'm, I'm, I'm proud of myself for that. But it's not something that I think I will continue on the journey uh, with. I think, I'm, I think I've done it, and I feel mm. like uh, it's not my jam. It's just not my style of, of novel or story. There it is. That's that's my initial gut reaction. But I'm excited to talk about the details with you guys. The problem is you're dropped off in the middle of the woods with a machete instead of Swiss Army Man. Right. Exactly. <laughs> There's no gas. I have no ability to press the right spot in his stomach and go flying through the air. <laughs> wow. With flatulence. Flatulence power is important. It powers the universe. It does. <laughs> <laughs> All right, then. Well, okay, so I'm really looking forward. You've touched on a few different things that we're going to be discussing more in depth. But before we go there, give us our warning, Chris. All right, guys. So from here on moving forward, we're going to spoil all of Dune. And this is the first book in the series. We're going to try not to spoil too much any other uh, Dune properties. I know there are sequels. There are offshoots. There are other stuff. We're not going to really talk all, all about those in depth or at least the story. But we are going to talk about the entire story. Of Dune. So if you haven't read it, and if you want to, my suggestion is to pause it right now, the podcast anyway, go listen to or read Dune, and then come back, and we can talk a little bit more about it. And if you're listening to it right now, what are you doing? This is the third part of it. What, what, why are you even here right now? Mm-hmm. Go away. Um, start somewhere else. So anyway, that that's a spoiler warning. You've been warned. Now we can dig in. We, we, we can dig into the sand of Dune. Oh. Ooh, I like it. Looking for the worms. The ever-shifting sand. Ever-shifting sands and hope that we don't <laughs> call a worm. Just, just call a maker. The yeah. makers. Okay. So, Tyler, can you give us uh, a quick reminder what happened in part three of the well, I, I said, I said that I was going to boil it down to a few sentences, and I, and I did, and then I, and I kept adding things to it. I was like, oh, I forgot that detail. That th-. So anyway, uh, I got on a post-it note, though, so, so hopefully we'll, we'll be able to get this. So three wow. years have passed. Although, what, is it three or two? Two. It's two? I swear it was three. Because okay. is two now, so. See? Although, Maybe I misread something. Well, I sw- although in one of the epigrams uh, it from says three, Princess right? Irland, 
It says in the third year of the Desert War. Okay, that's why I kept sticking with three, but I saw other people say two. Okay, well, so somewhere between two and three years have passed. Uh, Paul is in charge, essentially, of the Fremen, uh, and he, because he takes a lot of drugs, uh, he, he is uh, real fine with the spice <laughs> and the water of life. Uh, yeah, he can see the whole of space and time, you know, nothing nothing big there. Uh, he can see the, the whole, space of, uh, whole of space and time. The Harkonnens and the Emperor attack... Dune, they kill his son, but his little sister, the Abomination, Aaliyah, murders uh, the Baron Harkonnen. Paul then uses all of this. Oh, we also get Gurney Halleck coming back. I didn't even write that down, but that's awesome. Paul then maneuvers all of this into the fall of the Emperor. He positions himself as the heir, and the women have the final word. And seriously, once again, a three-year-old girl murders uh, Baron Harkonnen with a needle. That is the single weirdest thing (laughs) It's awesome. all. Is it, though? It's awesome. I love Aaliyah. She's great. It's great. Okay. It's awesome. Cool. In this novel, yes. Uh, uh, Fair. I I was like, I remember really not liking her (laughs) later on. But, yes, in this one, I was like, yeah. Cool. Three-year-old girl uh, killed it's, big it, dude. It's so funny because, you know, this book is leading up to a certain point. I mean, you're mm-hmm. just as a normal yes. reader, you're expecting something to happen. Yep. Um, you know, a, a, a fight or a, a final conflict. Yes. Um, especially uh, with uh, Baron the Baron, yeah. Harkonnen. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just like... Real Does quick, yeah. he's gone. He's dispatched, and I'm mm-hmm. just like, what? What? Yep. What? Okay. What was it? Why was he? Why was he even here the entire time? Why didn't they just have for ease of, just because they wanted to have more characters? Why didn't we just exchange the emperor for Baron Harkonnen? Why? Why are those two characters don't even need to be um, different? They could be one person. Well, let's just fun. go there. What is the point of? What is the purpose of the ending we were given? Please think? tell me, because I don't. I it's so quick, guys. It's so it quick. It's fast. We 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 go from the, and again, like I like actually part three, the first yep. third of it. They're like preparing, mm-hmm. right? So he's, they're like they're like getting all their stuff together. They're you know you you you, you feel uh, that Paul is uh, becoming the leader, mm-hmm. and you know people are respecting him, and he's got all this this cool like army thing happening and they're setting it all up and literally everything that's cool happens off the page you don't get to read about it um the emperor is just there he just shows up with but he brings his own throne which i think is awesome <laughs> he's like he walks so in, weird and then he's like uh guys and then slam gigantic <laughs> throne it's awesome <laughs> yeah it feels like the emperor and vader like yes. you definitely can feel Vader Emperor vibes because Bar- Baron Harkonnen is related, mm-hmm. uh, the, the the grandfather of Paul, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. So you've got that vibe, the the the, the blood yep. vibe, blood connection. But I, what I don't understand is is why why do, why is ba- the Baron and the Emperor two separate entities? Like it feels. You mean, just, you mean from a character perspective? Why do we yeah. have both of them? Yeah. Why, why, why do we have all these people? There's just too many people. That, that, that's another problem I have with this book. Too many people. There are too Lots many people. people in this book. Lots if I was the editor, I'd be like, no, no, no. Make those the same character, please. Yeah. Because they're doing the same thing. Yeah. There's right. no reason to have them separate. Do yourself a favor and don't ever read any Russian novel from the 19th century. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I, that's fine. I mean, I, I'm cool with that. I just like, good lord, like, there's no reason <laughs> for all these characters. All right. Like, they can be there, but Lord have mercy. Pun intended. Peter, take a stab at this, please. <sighs> okay. So, well, a pointy little needle stab. Chris's point about um, how uh, all of a sudden the Baron was gone kind of is a parallel to what happened in the Lord of the Rings. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, you had these armies massing, but the real victory was uh, won by two little hobbits Mm -hmm. who tossed a tiny little ring into a volcano. Yeah. Spoilers. (laughs) Dang it. Oh, now I got it. But but hang on hang on I I I'm I'm fine with that and again that's that's a great idea that Frank throws in like the little one did, you know what I mean like kills the the big bad right mm-hmm. like oh isn't that neat but you're with the hobbits the entire time right you like you she just shows up and we're told she's special and then like the third time we see her, she's killing the big bad. Like, oh, we don't have enough time with her. And she's in the Reverend Mother's mind, and she's... Oh, that's crazy. And she's two. So, like... That's crazy. It's awesome. Well, but, but it's it so It explains great. that. It explains the fact that she's got... Because we knew that she's from the, the very beginning. She has she has all of the knowledge of everyone, yeah. of, of the other women, whatever they call them. Reverend Mother. Um, or the Benny Desiree, yeah. So I get that. I, I that's cool. That idea is neat. It just for me, it's more about like there's not enough time for the payoff to be cool. Like it's just it's just a well, we need to kill the Baron, and I'd like to say sometimes kill the Baron, kill the Baron. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, we do the theme. I the theme I want basically Frank was it the theme I want to say is the the little sometimes the children, you know can can create huge change. The future <laughs> will destroy the past, right? Like I want to say this is the, it just, for me, it just felt like I said, it, the, the, the idea trumped narrative. Yeah. Well, and even, even not to spoil or future, spoil future books too much at all, but like, you know, one of the big things that they are building toward. And again, this is, I say this, I, I have not read beyond, I believe the third God book. emperor. Oh, yeah, Children I, of Dune is third. God Emperor. I've read four. Messiah, and I'm fairly sure I've read. I'm gonna I'm gonna keep reading after this because honestly, I can't remember if I've read Children of Dune. I know I've read Dune Messiah, and I liked it better than this one. Um, but uh, I, but, so I, I have two answers sort of for you, Chris. It, one I think is that Dune is set up. Yes. Honestly, Dune is set up for everything mm-hmm. else. It is the making of Polly. This is Paul's it's origin, the origin story. story. Yes. Yeah. Yes, uh, it is the origin story. And Paul is actually not really the focus. Um, yeah, despite as, the fact that he's in our face all the time, it, there's a lot more going on than that. And with him, with it being his origin story, the point is to get him from this kid on another planet whose dad is famous, whatever, to, all right, now I'm emperor and I'm in the position to deal with this whole terrible purpose thing. Right. Now... I guess maybe we'd strayed a little bit away from the question that you put to us, what we thought about the ending. And okay, Chris, I hear your um, discomfort with the narrative style that Herbert takes. Um, yeah. I personally really liked it because he's laying out the pieces, mm-hmm. but then relying on the reader to put them together. Mm-hmm. And so I really enjoy that kind of narrative and that kind of um, exercise. And so what happened, especially in the final scene, um, when the emperor is brought into 
the former residence of Paul and his family on in Arakeen. Um, we finally get all those pieces coming together. And so all the manipulations that have been going on behind the scene are finally laid out for everyone to see. And um, again, Herbert deliberately made this a multi-layer novel. And um, so, yeah, on a first read through, you're going to miss everything. I, I got Which a I, lot I more out of it this time around. Yeah. Same. But mm -hmm. at the ending, kind of all these kind of threads that have been throughout the narrative all come together and most of it is wrapped up neatly there are a few unanswered questions which then open the door to the sequels like, so like the I was, jihad which is inevitable inevitable and yeah. and i believe you guys can correct me or or not we don't ever see the jihad on on screen but it happens i mean on the page We've, we don't we pass don't we go like 12 years into the future for the next one and it's the jihad has happened and billions of people are dead in the universe is, Unbelievable. is that my, my recollection Unbelievable. yeah we, we see none of it zero zero of it if i if i recall this sounds like my nightmare <laughs> so you're telling me like everything they build up to they just don't even show or, or you don't even read about well, it here's the like, thing it's um you're thinking about the build-up as the action and the conflict but all of that is happening in politics it's all the political political maneuvering and ideas and the, the conflict is playing out in front of us in the words between the emperor and paul and the various other people it's the conflict isn't the killing of people the conflict is the gaining of power i'd agree with that yep i would agree well okay <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I mean i understand I understand that, but the 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 buildup of the entire novel doesn't lead you to th think that. Like, no. in, in other words, you know, it's it's kind of a juke. It's it's a fake out, uh, and it's fine. It's just when you are are given these breadcrumbs, and then it, and and you're you know, it's leading up to a thing, right. and then. It, it shifts its focus. It's kind of mm -hmm. like, oh, it feels a little like uh, let down to me. Here's how I understand that. Um, the book is creating, the first book in the Dune series is creating the context for his rise, which means there is oppression and lots of awful stuff happening. And it's creating that uh, the, the structure for someone to come to power and fight the oppressors uh, overthrow the emperor like everything that we are normally conditioned in these stories where that chosen one shows up and takes on the big baddie and stuff they create that situation so that paul comes to fruition of all the planning of the benny jesser and everyone else who's been manipulating everything they create all the structure for that but um Herbert's point is not, and now we're going to have our hero ride in and kill all the bad guys, and now we have our gory party at the end. Uh, that's not what Herbert's doing. And so those pieces are so familiar for a hero narrative that it looks like that's what we're building when he's using those familiar pieces in a different way to a different end and a different point. And so that's where our familiarity with a certain type of storytelling is actually kind of being used against us in what he's trying to do. Here's what, here, here's my only, my only reaction is, is this. I enjoy when, when I'm reading a, a book or watching a movie and my, uh, my expectations are totally subverted, right? Like uh -huh. I, Whoa, I didn't see that coming. 
that's much better than what I thought was going to happen. Mm-hmm. That's not what this is. This is literally like, oh boy, here it comes. They're going to do this thing. And then it's like a disappointment. Everything that I saw was, a di- it just felt too easy. Like, th- th- I guess that's my point is everything felt, especially at the very, very end of this novel, everything just felt way too easy it just it, yeah. you know what i mean i so think that's using also atomic a... weapons to blast a hole in the shield wall and ride it in the middle of the mother no the great 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 grandmother of sandstorms on the back of worms to overthrow five legions of the imperial troops is a letdown yeah because you don't ever see any of that like <laughs> that's my point is is that like you say all that but that wasn't in the no- that wasn't in the novel like it just wasn't like the it said there, and there's a moment of like an explosion and you, you, you experience it from one point of view, but you don't actually, You're do you know what I mean? It like, happens, but that's it. I'm told that it happens, yeah. but that's different than experiencing it. That's different well, than feeling it. And there's actually perhaps also an archetypal weakness here too, because whenever you have functionally superpowered characters yeah. who are able to do things the average person can't, your sense of the struggle is going to be different experientially if you don't have plot events that help you feel that um mm-hmm. and so i think that might be part of what you're reacting to chris if i've understood correctly it's the superman problem yeah you know what i mean once once you're that honestly what i was what the the moment i thought like ooh, this might be freaking cool was when he did, I can't remember the guy's name. When he couldn't see him, like Count there was Henry. the one like guy in the shadows. I was like, oh, oh boy, here comes the, here's the reason why this book is awesome because this guy <laughs> is gonna be able to subvert Paul. And Paul's the bad guy the entire time. He's become what he's not supposed to be, and he's gonna get killed by this dude. And this dude is gonna be the one who leads them to the light and the true way. No, that didn't happen. It was just like, oh yeah, no, we're buddies and pals. What? this cool idea and then it's just like no we're friends we're gonna we're gonna be buddies now what why even introduce him why even talk about that cons i don't know i just that's the kind of stuff that really bugged me because that was a cool moment that i felt like could have been meaningful Mm -hmm. but for me it just didn't feel like it paid off in any kind of meaningful way does that make sense maybe i'm missing something tell me what i'm missing i'd like to revisit that a little bit further uh on in our conversation so it's for us to get there first um i'd like to also Mm -hmm. hear from tyler and peter about your thoughts on the ending and the stuff that you wish had been explored more or less i'll start with tyler um i i actually really like the ending um now i will say I, i i think that the last page is weird um which we'll which we'll talk to and am I weird? I don't necessarily mean bad. I just mean unexpected and and different. Um, uh, but the 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 third part I really enjoyed. I and again maybe it's still this case of uh, wow. Finally, you know, after, on my third did I say third read? Now it's either third or fourth read. I think it's third. Um, now things are finally clicking. Now I'm actually seeing things. I'm seeing you know the the mm-hmm. the trees through the forest. You know. Um, and uh, so I, I actually felt like this was the first time I remember finishing the book and going, oh, it's all clicked. Okay, I get it. And and I know, I, I see what Paul was doing there. And I see that, like, I don't even think I remembered or realized the first time that Aaliyah was two. Like, mm-hmm. I, I think I, because she's so conscious, she's so conscious and she 
she straight up murders the the Baron with the Gum Jabbar that I just I think in my head always put her at you know she's 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 young so she must be like fourteen or something but yeah, yeah but, there's no way they're gonna put that on the screen there's no way that's gonna happen oh if way. they could do that in uh, in Twilight they can do that in this so we'll we'll see um, but uh, we just referenced Twilight wow that happened uh, yeah. and I'm not saying it's good I'm saying if they could do it in a Twilight movie they can do it in this um, it's yeah yeah. I don't know. I, I so <laughs> so Tyler. One of my experiences was similar to yours, where I mm-hmm. was not only noticing but making sense of the big picture stuff yes. a lot more. I saw the big this picture time. this time. Yeah, yeah. I I didn't I didn't get it, and and I still I I think I still am solidifying my my actual kind of dislike for Paul. I, I actually mm-hmm. kind of don't like him as a person. I, I think he's, again, it's maybe yeah. it's that Superman complex where he's, he's certainly powerful. He does all this great stuff and blah, blah, blah. I, I, I don't like him. I don't like him. I, I think he's, I think he's kind of uh, a goober, but, um, uh, but he's super <laughs> powerful and is, uh, I think he's good for, he's good for Dune. But then I honestly, I, I really got big white savior vibes in this one, which, mm-hmm. uh, which hmm. I think is, uh, a very interesting where I think it's supposed to be T.S. Eliot vi- or t- no T.E. wait not T.S. Eliot T.E. <laughs> T.E. T.E. Lawrence. Lawrence Lawrence thank you yeah. I was like wait that's wrong this <laughs> is totally a Lawrence of Arabia thing Herbert was inspired yes. by that like yeah. the first time I read it I went this is so Lawrence Arabia which was I loved that yeah. film as a kid the first time I saw it as my first like major epic film mm-hmm. and then now yeah it feels different at this point in life but. yeah and, and I don't think that's a wholesale bad thing either it's just got to be considered I think and and um, mm-hmm. I think because I, I, I think that it also does pay off, but I, I, I get, I get Chris's criticism and, and it's been consistent since book one of, of there's a lot that I, that I'm like, okay, well, finally I saw all this stuff, you know, it would have been nice to see the actual epic battle. I mean, that, that is the thing that's not going to be in this, in the movie, unless, you know, Villeneuve decides to put it in and it is going to disappoint a lot of people because, mm-hmm. We're not going to get the Battle of Helm's Deep. We're not going to get, you know, I, the Battle I of the Pelennor Fields. Maybe, maybe we will, but that's also not who he is as a director. Um, no, he's not no, big no, no. battle guy. You know, he's not. I agree with you, but there is again, like this is. So let me kind of. Yeah, yeah. You you skipped over this. <laughs> you said it, but I'm curious to know what is this book all about. Like you said, you now you get it. It clicked for you. What clicked? Uh, what like, is it like like um both kate and peter had mentioned had said before it's 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 that political the political machination when i when i say the about stuff i don't mean necessarily message yet i'm just saying plot wise okay. i finally get the plot like honestly <laughs> uh like for the third time you know um oh i see it happening like like because he tells rather than shows i yeah. at the end you are told that it all came together you're you're mm-hmm. told that it, you are informed that these things have happened yeah, yeah, yeah. now now i i saw them occurring as they as they went or at least i saw the signposts as as we went the along so i got it together yes um yeah. so that's more of what i mean when i say the pieces that fit together in, in this got case it. though you know it very much is um I, I i i would say i'm still i'm still wrestling with the with message Okay, no, we're think, going to address yeah, that when we get to our Dune Genesis discussion, okay. and that may help you guys some. It may not. We'll find out, but we'll go there, definitely. Yeah, actually, that did. I, I will say that did help. Now that I think, now that I consider it, it did help a little bit. Okay, Peter, where were you at with this? Oh, um, the ending? 
I was totally satisfied with it. Um, <laughs> but again, that's because I actually, in preparing for this, I read through the entire novel, um, I guess, back in January. Mm -hmm. And then I've been rereading each section in prep for our episode. So I've read it like twice in the past four yeah. months. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's helped a lot too. But um, I appreciate the subtlety of um, the off-screen action. Mm -hmm. And so Chris was asking, well, what, what was it about? Well, it's an exploration of politics and power and mm -hmm. religion and psychology and what it means to be human. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Right. And, those, also, and I agree with you. The, the, those are the topics. The, those, are the, those are like the big like ideas. But what is the book? Like what? I Okay. Like what, what is it saying <laughs> in the end? Like I, that's what I'm saying. Like I, I don't I, I get that. I, I see those signposts, those, those big monoliths. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, I don't know. Sorry, I interrupted you. Continue. Um, yeah, that was basically it. I found it to be very satisfying. And again, having uh, recently reread re the thing twice, it helped put it all together. And yeah. I guess last year at some point, Kate and I had watched both of the Dune miniseries mm -hmm. with those hideous glowing green, uh, blue eyes. And it was just so bad. It was good. Well, <laughs> sort of. <laughs> I, I like them. Now, I haven't rewatched them in a while, but I like them. I, 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 I'm going to rewatch them soon. Okay. I like them. You know um, we should tell Josh to make Chris watch that's what, that's the what David Lynch movie. <laughs> oh, oh, that's just man. That's Listen, I've had enough, Dune. Let's move on for just think, a minute. I think Josh doesn't listen to the podcast. Yeah. Uh, okay, um, and then Peter, the second part of that, um, what do you wish it explored more or less or any favorite moments that you want to draw out? Huh. Well, I mean, I I really liked the way that Lady Jessica began to relate better to Cheney mm -hmm. and also Hara. And at the end, I mean, Cheney saw what was going down with Paul making his power play and basically taking the hand of the princess to become the next in, in line. And so she's like, okay, well, do you want me to stay or shall I just go? and shuffle off into the dustbin of history. Mm -hmm. And Paul says, no, you will not be my wife, but you will be my only companion. Mm -hmm. And so just kind of, so that growing awareness of the reality of like the real politic of marriage and dynasty and all that stuff straight from medieval Europe. Yeah. Um, and Lady Jessica knew that that's why that Duke Leto had never married her. And that that was an ongoing source of pain for her. Mm -hmm. and she wanted to uh, spare Paul that same pain, which is why she didn't want Cheney involved at all, but to kind of see all that come through. And then the very last line of the novel, you know, mm -hmm. history will call us wives. That's Lady Jessica speaking to Cheney, even though they're both theoretically in the subordinate position as, you know, the concubine of the great man, either the Duke or the emperor. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there's, you know, the princess and all of that stuff. I liked the way that Lady Jessica was able to come th around to that and Cheney too, to realize that she was being valued as a person yeah. rather, than rather than a title for her position, yeah. her title. Yeah. So that was one of my favorite moments. Yeah. 
And that's a juxtaposition to the entire book is about Paul grappling with his position. And this is the final word is given to the women. And it's a subversion of everything that's been going on with that. In their power, they get to be more human, not less. Which is pretty cool. Um, Sort of connecting on to that. um, My edition of Dune has an afterword in it that was written by Herbert's son, Brian. And so I read through that this time, um, I think maybe for the first time ever, but um, I learned something I did not know about the Lady Jessica. I'm just going to read it to you guys because I'm assuming you haven't seen it. Beverly Herbert was the widow, was, uh, is the widow of Frank Herbert, by the way. So Beverly Herbert was the window into Frank Herbert's soul. He shared that reality with millions of readers when he wrote a loving three-page tribute to her at the end of Chapter House Dune, describing their life together. His writing companion and intellectual equal, she suggested the title for that book, and she died in 1984 when he was writing it. Earlier in Dune, Frank Herbert modeled Lady Jessica Atreides after Beverly Herbert, with her dignified, gentle ways of influence, and even her prescient abilities, which my mother, this is uh, Brian speaking, actually possessed. He also wrote of Lady Jessica's latent prophetic abilities, and in this he was describing my mother, thinking of all the amazing paranormal feats she had accomplished in her lifetime, which is pretty cool. Um, that tribute to um, Brian's mom, Herbert's uh, love of his life and intellectual equal, there's a bit of that... I think that really comes through in the uh, in Jessica's relationship with the Duke, where she is a woman of substance. She is not just the pretty face, the trophy wife to run the house and the dynasty. Um, so that was one of the new things I noted. I'd already mentioned whenever Tyler was covering his that I got a lot more of the big picture this time than I had before. Um... I also, um, I think that um, the, the earlier times I was reading it, I was focused on character and plot so much more, in part because I was struggling to like a lot of the characters, and in part because <laughs> the plot is like, wait, what? Um, I mean, I could recognize that there were lots of political pieces going on, but... I mean, whenever Chris first started talking about Dune as a book of ideas, I think that's kind of the piece that fit in for me. I I recognized ideas before, but this was the first time, the first reread, where I understood that um, ideas is the only thing that makes sense of the characters and plot and why they matter. And the ideas... I mean, it all depends on how you relate to books, whether or not you find ideas, you know, an off-putting type of story to tell or something that really draws you in. But for me, I felt like it was getting the author's notes or the the director's commentary while I was reading, understanding why the characters were being moved around the way they were, why the plot was unspooling the way it was. Uh, Once I started getting those pieces, it was like, okay, I see what he's doing here. And it added a layer of subtext to everything. So it was like there was a secondary conversation going on all the time that for the first time didn't just sound like, 
you know, random word here and there, but mostly gibberish to me. And so I think that is certainly one of the aspects of rereading this work that, I mean, maybe there are people out there who read political novels all the time and they just pick up on it quickly, but I don't tend to read a lot of political works. It's not usually what interests me. And so I don't have that same facility. So it took me more of the rereads to really start to, for that to work for me. Um, so with that in mind, I want to talk about Dune Genesis. So Dune Genesis was published, it's an essay that Frank Herbert wrote that was published in Omni Magazine in July of 1980. And basically it is written, he was asked to explain where Dune came from, where his ideas came from uh, for the book in, you know, plot terms and character terms, but also just what was he thinking as he crafted this universe? What was he trying to say? And um, I feel like once I read this, there were more pieces of the ideas that clicked in more securely for me. And Chris is sort of operating from the unfair disadvantage of he's the only one of us who has only read the first book. It made me feel like Dune and Dune Messiah are like part mm -hmm. one and part two in many ways. And a mm -hmm. lot of the stuff clicks far better when you have Dune Messiah and the way that ends. And I love the ending of Dune Messiah because it is a response to all the commentary that's been going on. And you don't get that. You don't know that that's waiting for you when you finish Dune and you're like, I really don't know that I want to go any further. I'm kind of over this. Um, so I just want to offer that to our listeners who maybe are feeling like Chris is about it, but maybe still are looking for a reason to continue um, that Dune Messiah is functionally a the second half of, of Paul's arc, at least, and why things matter. Mm -hmm. So and he gets, mm -hmm. he gets, uh, yeah, it, there's reading Dune. Sorry, I, I was not thinking about, I was thinking about 10 different things. Uh, mm -hmm. Dune Genesis, which we'll get into, I, I think, in more in just a second or as we, as we talk right here. Now. But yes. it, we're, we're free to, to, to jump into it. Um, mm -hmm. okay, well, so yeah, Dune Messiah. Dune, Dune Genesis, I'm sorry, um, is is really helpful as kind of a key, and I think I think you're you're very right about that. In that, Frank Herbert starts talking about, um, I guess essentially the uh, I don't know what you the the classical uh, the classical uh, operatic almost nature or like you know space opera nature of of Dune in terms of like uh, Paul. Paul becoming sort of Oedipus like, you know, in that, um, because mm. he, in that he's, um, he sees fate, but is, uh, or he can, he can see, you know, all of time and space, but, um, it's not simply a matter of just seeing or witnessing how fate is going to, to play out. But in the very Greek, Greek tragedy nature of it, the see, the act of seeing fate is going and knowing what your fate is, is going to alter the fate as well, because you're going mm -hmm. to, uh, you're going to try and, whether you say I'm going to do nothing and just simply go with it, you're still gonna then then you're gonna fall into it, or by by trying to avoid it, you're going to you know fall into it and and make fate mad all at the same time. Let alone the mythic proportions of of uh, or I guess the mythopolitical proportions of these kind of archetypes. And I, I really love, I really really resonate with um, his opening here. Uh, the third paragraph, um, 
he, the second paragraph, he's talking about uh, demagogues, fanatics, con game art artists. But the third paragraph, he gets into personal observation. This is a quote. Personal observation has convinced me that in the power area of politics slash economics and in their logical consequence, war, people tend to give over every decision-making capacity to any leader who can wrap himself in the myth fabric of the society. Hitler did it. Churchill did it. Franklin Roosevelt did it. Stalin did it. Mussolini did it. Uh, I, I love I, I loved that, and I thought, yep, that is Paul. And, and not Paul entirely on his own. He was certainly positioned into it. But mm -hmm. the moment that he stepped into it, the, you know, the, the end of book one is him stepping into the desert, literally, and saying, they're going to call me Muad'Dib. They're going to do this. And, and then, basically, and I'm going to go with it now. Uh, and I'll take a whole lot of drugs to, to be able to see all of these outcomes, but the jihad is inevitable. It's inevitable that they see me as the savior, so I'm going to do it. And Although, I, I, yeah. throughout the novel, uh, we see his internal struggle, and yes. his, he's trying to resist <clears throat> the jihad. Yes. Yeah. So, but again, that, comes, in, that in plays that, into the paradox yes. of mm -hmm. the foreknowledge of it and the attempts to evade it, and then yes. the attempts to evade it end up causing the thing that you're trying to 100%. avoid. That whole, predestination paradox yeah it's straight greek tragedy right uh, the, mm -hmm. um, oedipus is told you are going to kill your father and marry your mother so uh and his parents are told that your son is going to kill kill you and marry you uh mm -hmm. so they send him away but they send him away to a guy who takes pity on him takes him to another place he gets the same prophecy so he leaves that place well, who's, what does he do he ends up killing his father on the road in the earliest example of road rage that we know and then goes <laughs> to marry uh to, goes to, goes to marry his mother um yeah. unbeknownst to him you know so in avoiding your fate you are going to fulfill fate i mean that's and that's a trope that goes through harry potter and i mean yeah everything yeah. is is that so I, I i liked that that this is intention here that, mm -hmm. we, that we we rarely get from authors here was my intention here's what i'm trying to do yeah i, really like I want to underline part of what you the quote that you gave tyler he lists hitler oh yeah churchill franklin roosevelt Stalin and Mussolini. In the following paragraph, he lists John yeah. F. Kennedy and George Patton as well. 100%. This is not just, just clump, bad just guys. Just clumps all of them together. Just clumps them all together. Right. Sure. It's not just bad guys and it's not just like he's making the point that this applies to everybody yep. who has got a mythic level of power that they then exercise. And one of the uh, killer quotes from this uh, essay comes just a few paragraphs after that where he says heroes are painful superheroes are a catastrophe yeah the mistakes of superheroes involve too many of us in disaster that's what he i mean it's it's a reduction but that's what he's up to with the creation of paul because in a way he's in conversation with a history uh, literary history mythological history uh, we have great heroes like Beowulf, who mm -hmm. did some good things, but also was he really a good guy? Um, there are a, a lot, lot of people of died around him. Yeah. Absolutely, and so he's in conversation with the history of myth there, and what it means to be this sort of superhuman figure. Because when you are a superhuman figure, you create by existing and by exercising power. Um, a structure of existence that reinforces that. So if you remove that person, what happens with what's left 
behind what happens the to the people. The system continues to grind on. system on continues, but maybe with different people who are in power, who are less good at it, or who do not have good intentions. You cannot escape the fact that as soon as you build that up, you have created a system that can also destroy everything. And we see the beginning of that evidenced in Dune with the change in attitude that... Um, the Fremen have and others. Mm-hmm. Was it was it um, Gurney specifically? Stilgar. Stilgar, Stilgar in particular. Right. Yes. They stop seeing him as a human being on the same level as him and start looking up to him as this superhuman figure. And I've got a yeah, he loses. Quote he, for that. he loses them. Yeah. yeah. Go ahead. Uh, like from Dune Genesis, uh, mm-hmm. Frank Herbert comes right and says, "This then was one of my themes for Dune." Yeah. Don't give over all your critical faculties to people in power, no matter how admirable those people may appear to be. And then when I read that, I I clicked on the moment, um, and this is now from book three, uh, The Prophet. In that instant, Paul saw how Stilgar had been transformed from the Fremen Naib to a creature of the Lisan al-Gaib, a receptacle for awe and obedience. Mm -hmm. It was a lessening of the man, and Paul felt the ghost wind of the jihad in it. I have seen a friend become a worshiper, he mm-hmm. thought. Yeah. So yeah. we have that happening. But did you pay attention to what was happening in Dune before that? What was the Fremen purpose before Paul showed up? It was about the future of Arrakis, turning it into a garden, making water more available, rehabbing the environment. That was what Liet Kynes was working on before uh, he died, and the Fremen people, all the sacrifices they were making was towards a future, and now they've shifted their attention to this person who has uh, filled this powerful role, and there is danger in that, because what the Fremen were fighting up until that point in time was the fact that Arrakis was being um, um Exploited? Thank you, that's the word I'm looking for. Exploited by those in power, by the Emperor, by the Harkonnens, by the Space and Guild. Like, everyone was just using and abusing that planet, regardless of the harm caused to that planet. And so the Fremen were fighting back on that, but suddenly now we have this whole thing where they have shifted their focus towards Paul, and there are consequences for that. And, like, the I forget where it was in part two, they talk about the purpose of... Uh, we had kinds of others to look at the consequences of things and that's what's happening we're losing that in their focus on paul and the the dangers that come with having a hero or a superhero and right near the end in dune um paul does mention that yes his intention is to transform arrakis to make it that garden planet uh to make it a place where water will fall from the sky and that that phrase right there is what caused the change in Stilgar from Mm -hmm. friend to worshipper but so the Fremen are still getting that which is was their original goal but that's kind of a byproduct of Paul becoming emperor and we are being told that the jihad is still coming so this goal that the Fremen had of of transforming their planet has been inadvertently picked up by Paul and they're going to get that but that's no longer the focus of the Fremen because of Paul's apparent fulfillment of these prophecies. 
Yeah, I, I here here's the thing. You know, when I was asking like, what is this about? Uh, this is this cuts to the core because obviously, this is the author telling us what his themes was, mm-hmm. what he wanted for you to leave thinking. Mm-hmm. And you know, he's the anti Gene Roddenberry. Like he is all about nihil. Like basically, Frank Herbert is nihilism's it. Like it's it's over. You you create a system, you're screwed. Uh, society, you got to be small. The moment you try and get big, you're screwed. Everything's going to end up very, very bad because this hero worship, right? I mean, that's what he's mentioning in this book, that it's not going to work out well. No matter what happens, if you put power with one person and one leader and you don't know them, you don't have any connection with them, chances are things are going to go bad. Um, Whereas Gene Roddenberry, we get the idea of the Federation where everybody can work together we all agree we can like move forward, but that's not going to happen in Frank Herbert's world, right? Like that's, it's a completely different worldview. I think that's one of the reasons why I didn't really connect with this very well is because the negative view worldview there uh, without any kind of direction as to like, okay, well, what, what does it, what does, what does it look like done? Well, do you know what I mean? What, basically what you're showing us is you don't like the negative the negative yeah. aspects of, 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 of the world. But there is no positive aspect of the world. They, just everyone's doomed. Everyone's doomed in this, in this and, and nothing ends well. But are and they? And we know, like you said, yes. Because I've read the book. Like, I, I'm sorry, <laughs> it's got to stand on its own. And yeah, you can say, well, it goes better. But if there, there's not even any breadcrumbs, from, from my perspective, maybe I miss them, of what the good society is or what the good thing is. All it is saying is is that Paul has fed into, yeah. I mean, honestly, there was a moment where he could have killed himself and none of this would have happened, right? Like he could have ended it all Mm -hmm. and none of this jihad, billions of people dying or whatever it is, wouldn't have happened. And he chose not to do that. And so whatever happens is because he chose to hold on to power. So that that's that's the issue that I'm like I'm wrestling with is that like in this novel alone all we know is that basically you know the the bad stuff's happening it's it's going to happen no matter what now the 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 things are in play it to me it just didn't feel like a very like hopeful yay or even like okay Paul chose the wrong path but because of that, there's hope. You know, there is another, as Yoda would say. You know what I mean? There is no, there is another. There is no, there is a, may, it, none of that's there. They offer a counterpoint by referring sure, to this crazy race consciousness, which Paul keeps mentioning. Yeah. Um, okay, yes. He he acknowledges himself that um, the race consciousness demand for jihad, this, this um, mixing up of um, humanity, which had become settled, um, yeah, it's it's awful that he's trying to avert it, but it is also this apparently primal necessity at the genetic level for humanity to to not stagnate, for humanity to move forward. So to quote another geek property, life will find a way. Mm. Yeah, but what, what, what it sounds like Frank Herbert is saying is, is that in order for things to get better, everyone has to die. That to me doesn't sound like a very good message, and and that that's why that that's that's why I'm struggling because it it it's just a very nihilistic way of looking at the world. Like I I, I don't I, I don't like that, and mm-hmm. and so maybe I can sit here and we can talk about like other themes and all that. I just don't like 
that that is where Frank's coming to. It just sounds like systems are the enemy. You know, the, the, these these uh, politics, religion, all this stuff is not going to help us. Burn it all down. Let jihad happen. And then from the ashes, Phoenix will arise. Now, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe that's not what he's saying. But what you guys just told me is that the jihad, jihad happens in the next book and you like the next book a lot. So my feeling is that is what happens. Like everything gets burned down and then out of the ashes, we can build a better civilization. Did you notice it, the part of the essay where he talks about the fugue? You know, enter the feud. In music, the fugue is usually based on a single theme that is played many different ways. Sometimes yeah. they're, et cetera, et cetera. So there is subversion of theme that... I won't explain how that happens, but he's playing with this from different directions. And I think we've actually already been given a glimpse of what hope can look like because on Arrakis, there was oppression and awfulness well before Paul and his family showed up, but the Fremen were already working towards a valuable goal for the future as an entire culture. So we're actually shown what is working before we have the whole hero problem come along and muck things up for a while. And so I think there is actually a vision of grassroots work to make the world a better place um, and being careful who we give power to is built into, if you want me to stay just within book one, that is there. Hmm. I mean, what am I missing? Am, 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 what I just said... It, it, do you feel like that is what the point of this book is? Because to me, that is that's what I felt like. That's what it seemed to be saying to me. System's bad. Burn it. There, there's nothing you can do unless at the very beginning you choose to just not be the leader at all. You're going to screw up um, this tribal, like almost. Because, I mean, honestly, like the Freeman sounds like they had like the perfect kind of set up right mm-hmm. i mean no one really knew they existed no one really knew the power that they held they were happy it's like that story that you know like the fisherman you know who lives you know every day and just goes out and fishes when and a businessman sees him and is like hey you know you could sell that fish and then you could buy a nicer boat and he's like oh what would i do with a nicer fish we could get better more fish and you could sell more fish and then you could buy a bigger mansion and then where would it put the mansion over here and then where would you put it? You'd, you'd live here. So he's like, so you're telling me, and then and he's like, then you could uh, eventually one day retire and live on a boat and do whatever you want. And he's like, well, that's what I do right now. Why would I want to go through, you know, this entire, I already have what I want. So to me, it feels like the Freeman had what they wanted. Paul kind of gave them a bigger vision. It's going to end in what mm. seems to be disaster. But in reality, we're going to come back to realize that this smaller way of existing is I, Whatever. I, I don't, don't know. think I, that they did though, uh, and and this is where my my mythology, the, my book mythology and stuff gets murky. But as as far as I've been putting together, the the Fremen, um, the Fremen have basically been planning this jihad and 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 this um, this reawakening of Arrakis for a long, 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 long time. Like they've been hoarding the waters, and and um, that's why they have their still suits. And they, they've, they've been doing all this stuff for a long time. Yeah, but all that's screwed up now. It's not, though. Uh, Well, sort of it is. Um, Isn't that what they said? Like, they had all these... I don't know the the ending beyond the third book, or even really the second book is what I remember more than the third. Mm. Um, But 
uh, he he basically is a catalyst for something that has been waiting already for a long time. Like they 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 talk about the Fremen. We read this is a quote we read. I'm going to paraphrase it now because I can't find it, but it was it was in the second the second book we read it last time about the Fremen. Like he's on this knife edge, and the Fremen are just like there, waiting to be unleashed upon the the universe, um, and to 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 begin this big rebalance. So I I don't think that you're. I don't, by the way, I don't think what that what you're saying, Chris, is actually without merit. I I, mm-hmm. I think that is, I think that is partially what at least or, I think that's partially what Frank Herbert is getting at. Is yep, uh, uh the the society, the system that is here is broken, it's messed up. I mean, there's no, I think there's no other way of reading the Harkonnens and the Bene Gesserit and the Emperor. Um, I, but I, I don't read it as nihilistic. I read it as, um, difficult things must, must happen, must happen in order to fix a broken system. I I, I don't really, I don't recognize, or I don't see it as, as, yep, that, that sucks. I hope everybody die really well. Like I, I think it's I, I think it's uh, a positive view in the midst of dark things. A positive view. Okay. Peter, right. I'm curious. We haven't really heard from you about Dune Genesis. I want to hear where, what your thoughts were. Uh, well, I've been just kind of wrapping my head around Chris's critiques and um, I think, <laughs> um, how far off base he is. Okay, no, no, awesome. no, not that at all. It's just, uh, but also kind of wondering what Frank Herbert would have said or what he would have written if he were alive in 2020. Mm-hmm. Because um, one of the things that we learned, I think it was in the afterward, um, he was a guest of honor at the very first Earth Day observation in Philadelphia. Uh, he was very, very involved in kind of the um, ecological movement. Um, mm. And that was before we had like Australia burned down in flames and millions of wild creatures dead uh, before the increasing severity of natural phenomenon, which we are now seeing, before we have records of the ice caps melting. I really wonder what kind of novel he would have written today. And honestly, um, I don't know if our current situation is one in which we could just paint a rosy picture. It's not nihilistic to say, things are really bad. Right. But I, again, like I think it is to say there's nothing and, and things are really bad and there's nothing we can do about it. Like that, that, that just, that, that, that is nihilistic, right? I mean, that is, that is, there's nothing the we end. can do like, about it. I think maybe is an assumption though, because he, by showing how things play out, if things don't change, that is providing catalyst for change to help, you know, wind that out a while so people can go, oh, if I don't make a change now, that's where we're headed. Well, what I mean by that is, is in, in the book, mm-hmm. it's made clear that if Paul does what he's going to do, then destruction in the universe will happen. We are left with him doing those things. And so it's a it's an if then statement. You know what I mean? If Paul does this, then this thing occurs. But here's the thing: Paul has already disrupted what everyone thought the Kwisatz Haderach was going to be, and he is specifically this person who, rather than just 
like if he was a Harkonnen or a variety of other people just going full on, all right, this is my mission, let's do it. He has been interrogating his mission all along and looking for where he can subvert it and change it. And by being yeah. a person who thinks that way, some things may inevitably happen. And certainly there's the question of how much can you fight your own fate. But I think he, because he is already the unexpected, um, what he... he I think he can bump them into different tracks than it would have been had someone else been in his position. I think I've put my finger on one aspect of Chris's critiques, which was kind of nagging at me. You keep using the word nihilism, mm -hmm. but I do not think that means what you think it means. <laughs> um, in that I agree that the picture we get, and especially the reading that you're giving on, is a very bleak picture, but bleak is not nihilistic. Nihilistic is there is no meaning in the universe. Bleak is things are really, really bad and it looks like things may continue to be really, really bad, but it still maintains the sense of value and meaning. Mm -hmm. And maybe that's just a little bit of philosophical nitpicking, but I don't know. It does that I guess I guess it's the the bleeding of nihilism. It it, it it's the almost like um like the book is sweating it like where this is gonna happen you know what i mean it's almost like a warning i it just it to me i guess this just the way that i like to the, the the media that i lean more towards is the one that leads me towards hope um uh, and 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 purpose like the rather boys? than <laughs> yes yeah exactly right yeah yeah totally that is nihilism that I mean, to me like oh, that yeah, is it that's sure, a good yeah. example of for nihilism sure. um so like Yes, I, I agree with you. But I mean, again, like Star Wars, Star Trek, the reason why I feel, and th this has made me even clear, me more clear to me, it, it is this. The reason why Dune has never had the traction is because of this. Because it leaves you with a sense of, I don't know what I want to say. You want to call it nihilism, we, we, whatever you want to call it. That that kind of like fatalism um, maybe is fatalism. Now nah, there, man, that, that might be better. It is very fatalistic. It, for sure. Rather than leaving you with a feeling of hope um, and a feeling of yeah, things are bad, but they can get better. And he, he can even make the point: it's not good to have one person be the person put on the pedestal because when you do that, I I'm down with that. I'm down with that idea. But the to not bring hope into the in, into the room at all, or, or at least thoughts of how we can make it better into the room at all, I feel like it just takes winds out of the sail, and nobody really wants to be a part of that for very long, except for philosophers in the room with you know uh, uh, <laughs> pipe smoke uh, and 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 you know talk about this, and and and, and on podcasts like this, I like talking about it, like mm -hmm. I, I do, I really would love to talk about this. But at the end of the day, it's not going to inspire many people to, I don't know, like really take up the Dune bandwagon because mm -hmm. it doesn't really make you feel like, yeah, let's, well, let, let, let's do something. Let me offer this. a little bit of a counterpoint to that, which is not to say that I disagree with you because I don't think I do disagree with you. But um, I've, the way I've seen Dune discussed in popular culture, there's a lot of people who see Paul as a hero and kind of miss this whole subtext yes. 
And so when they get to Dune Messiah, they're like, what did you do with Paul? Why do people hate Dune Messiah? It's functionally like Luke Skywalker in the original trilogy. And then they hate what happened in The Last Jedi. A version of that happens with Dune Messiah. And so there is a certain aspect of depends on what your reading is for this book. Um, Since you are not planning on continuing this series, Chris... Can I make a spoilery comment about the end of Dune Messiah? Go for it, please. We should, but we should warn everybody. We're we're gonna spoil. Listeners, maybe skip the next twenty, thirty seconds, so I can at least say what it is and give Chris a chance to to react. All right, please. So, spoiler warning done. At the very end of Dune Messiah, Paul walks away from it all. He walks into the desert and disappears. A blind, like blind, and wandering he's blind into the desert. By then. Yeah, yeah, because there's a whole yeah. thing that happens with that. His walking away from it all is not what usually happens in this narrative. It's a part of the subversion of the narrative. What happens in this book? And I know that doesn't make it necessarily any happier, but that is not something that anyone else in power in this universe has done. They do not walk away. They've and lost he does. it. He, he, of... He's the George Washington. Yeah. <laughs> he gave, I mean, gave yeah. up his... The Cincinnati. Yeah, yeah exactly. Get Cincinnati. The classical yeah, reference. 100%. 100%. Yeah. So I know yeah, that I mean, doesn't I, fix everything, but I do think there's more being said because of that. Yeah, and I agree with you. And, and here's the thing, and this is what I've said the entire time. I, my only critique of that perhaps dune messiah makes everything better and that's great and it can do that and i have no problems with it however at dune as it stands by itself the first novel yeah i don't see that in here and like I, I don't valid, even see mm-hmm. yeah I have that a is question. my own please why do you think it is the best-selling science fiction novel of all time given these critiques because i think it is so very dense and people who like again the 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 reading jackets and the pipe smoke filled rooms and professors because because it makes a really good because professors say you should read dune and people go does anybody really think what professors book recommend for fun well i'm just saying it's one of the things that 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 um uh, educators recommend, and so there is a lot of books sold in that that way. It's just it it almost feels like it is a in, an institution has built up around this book. It is so dense that you can discuss it and talk about it. But I guarantee you, I, I, maybe not guarantee, many people who have experienced this book did so needing to read a I mean write a book report alongside of it. That's what I would, that's my critique of it. I, a lot of people, I'm sure, love this novel, love this book, but most people are not ardent like dune heads or whatever you call them. I don't know. There, there is no, um, what is it called when something in popular culture uh, just really, um, it's not in the popular, popular culture the consciousness. The zeitgeist, the whatever it is. It's there, it's very popular, um, and I think it also fed into a lot of ideas and, and Quite frankly, they stole Frank's ideas and made them better. <laughs> like, like, like they took some ideas and 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 then infused it with some with some awesomeness and then made it better. Um, and I I would love to hear like a professor or someone. I think it's it's probably a very good, like a Lord of the Rings, like a very thick, like 
you know, you, you've got to you've got to fight through it. And you get your ardent fans. I, I'm 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 with you on that, but I don't feel like it's caught the the zeitgeist. It, it's not in the popular culture. It just it, it just really isn't. I mean, most of the people that I know maybe have heard of Dune. They they know that it has sandworms. But it does blow my mind a little, like you said, that it somehow is still the best-selling sci-fi novel of all time. It's kind of like when I when people hear that Avatar is the number one movie of all time. It just doesn't make any sense. People have seen it and read it, but I'm not entirely sure it's made the impact. I just don't understand that. Like it doesn't make any it's, sense. It's not made the, the conscious. <laughs> it's That's not made maybe true. the conscious impact. But like you've said, its DNA is kind of all over the place. Yeah. Um, we we can really see its DNA uh, in in many many things and like and some some of it nice and subtle and some of it very ham fisted and, and bad like like the Battle of the Five Armies in in uh, in, right. in the Hobbit, the Hobbit. where the sandworms yeah. are suddenly there somehow um, yeah. yeah but okay um, yeah. all right um, let's Maybe actually go should... in that direction let's talk about the pop culture connections yeah. Yeah. here and. Uh, where it shows up because I think we could keep going down this road and I think there's mm-hmm. more we could discuss but I don't want to miss out on the other aspects yeah. of the experience so um, for for the pop culture connections I'm basically going to ask what are some of your favorite or memorable encounters um, and places you think are important to note but I'm going to start because Star Wars Tatooine yes. is totally a connection 100%. there like dune influenced george lucas so much i think when you have a book of ideas and a book of landscapes that are memorable and weird interesting things that isn't just more of a pseudo medieval europe it catches people's attention and really informs things in a cool way so star wars new hope is totally a thing i'd already mentioned some of the paul luke parallels you've got i mean the force you know you know these aren't the droids you're looking for that's the that's the voice right there being used yes um, and the family connection to the the big bad is can is right, related like, to that is all up in there um i also um um if you guys have read name of the wind the pat rothfuss book uh, first in a series there is a whole section in there where you're like where the kids are like asking for stories and one of the girls what she asks for is a place about sand snakes and men who hide in the dunes and they drink your blood oh, instead I do of not water remember that being and in it's there. like that's oh, cool. dune right there like there's no missing it if you have watched the tv show chuck it is all over the place fear is the mind killer the phrase shows yeah. up everywhere so you can find it on law and order for heaven's sake like it it's just one of those things that people have heard of and because there is something about it that has hooks in it people who've never read dune and who have never seen um any of the adaptations of it that fear is the mind killer phrase really uh inspires a lot of people i will also note that rick and morty did a thing yeah. with yep. <laughs> yeah so uh, tyler it sounds like you've got some as well i'll throw it to you uh, yeah, i know you've thrown you've thrown some of those exactly what i would what i would have been saying the the fun thing i was going to point out was was the rick and morty uh when i looked it up it's in the third season uh, it says he who controls the pants controls the galaxy um instead of spice yeah it's it's yeah. everywhere it really is and particularly yeah the fear is the mind killer uh line you can see that elsewhere let alone just just 
big worms. If you see big worms in you know somewhere in in uh, uh, in pop culture, it's 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 likely a Dune, at least a at least a nod. Yeah, in season two. Ma- yes. Oh yeah, no yeah the the crate dragon, which again crate dragon that goes right back to George Lucas in in the opening when they're walking on on Tatooine. But when we see it, and it's like oh yeah, this is a hundred percent a yeah yeah big sandworm. Totally. Um, yep. Peter, did you have one of the any? other? Uh, well, one of the cultural references that um, one of the many actually contained in the novel "Red Shirts" by John Scalzi. Great, <laughs> great book, good book. Oh yeah, yeah. and I mean the very first uh, one yeah. of the opening scenes, they have like the red shirts walking across the death, and then they get devoured by worms. A whole yeah, a whole bunch of them. Yeah, I mean, and for those of you who haven't read "Red Shirts" by John Scalzi, it is funny. High recommend. Yep. A little bit of uh, uh, high concept meta narrative and mm-hmm. just a really, really fun read. And mm-hmm. at the end, you find out that it's also a love story. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Tyler, it, I'm kind of surprised as our Trekpedia person that you haven't made this Star Trek um, references. I, I saw some subtle. Uh, so I, I looked this up and I think it was even in the Nerdist article that you sent us as, as well. There, mm-hmm. there is There are some sly references, but th- that I. I was like, it's fine. Okay, they're they're like half named, similar named things. So I, I didn't get there. Honestly, the thing that I keep thinking of, unless unless you had one, did you do you have a Star Trek one that I that I'd missed? That's more obvious. There's like a sly name one that I that was yeah. Like there's sort one of in reference. Voyager where they reference Arrakis Prime as a planet that you know. Oh, I uh, didn't see that one. Oh, cool. Yeah, yeah. Next Generation oh, also has a planet, uh, Caldonia, that's a lot like Caladan, but Caladan. Uh, Voyager that was the one that I was like, direct. I was like, eh, yeah. But Voyager's a, a, a cool, more direct. Yeah, yeah. Direct reference. The the thing that I kept uh, that that keeps going into my mind is actually it's weird. There's like two two, like almost a six degrees of Kevin Bacon. There's almost a two degree away from uh, from this, but uh, the. The documentary I've mentioned this before, and I and I, I cannot recommend it highly enough. Uh, I just rewatched the the documentary Jodorowsky's Dune, um, which is uh, but the failed making of a movie of Dune in the seventies, um, and it's I I I loved that movie. I loved it even more the second time I saw it. Clarice and I watched it, and it's so trippy and strange, and because uh, Alejandro Jodorowsky is a Trippy, trippy, trippy and strange, strange dude. <laughs> um, uh, but the so as much as like Frank Herbert, if we're talking like DNA of Dune, you know, sociopolitical things, space opera, and, and all that other stuff is is found throughout sci-fi. So um, so are the the visual ideas that Jodorowsky was was coming up with um, to make his movie. You know, um, the very very direct DNA. Um, can be found in, like we said, Star Wars with Tatooine, but um, but it's also with Alien because he had um, he had hired H.R. Giger to work on his his film, and and because nothing mm-hmm. none of that came to fruition, um, the the xenomorph design and a, a lot of the the design of the ships and things like that were were put together in in Alien, let alone Star Wars, Star Trek. Uh, you know, um, it was a lot of recycled um, Buck Rogers ideas. It's it's fascinating to see how Dune, even though I agree with. Chris, like more people have heard of it than have read it probably and mm-hmm. probably a lot of people I, I, I suspect that the reason it's it's the best selling one is because everybody's been bought a copy of Dune you know for for the birth uh, for a birthday or Christmas or something like that whether it, it got read or not <laughs> it's that nice cool copy 
you know, that glo embossed copy from Barnes & Noble is sitting on their shelf, um, which by the, the way I would like, because I've got two real beat up copies, but I want the cool one with the, with the blue pages, but, um, but, uh, with a Neil Gaiman introduction, um, uh, I think it's, it's DNA is all over the place because he does have resonant ideas. Like we said, he's playing with these classical themes of, of, of predestination and fate and free will and uh, as well as politics and, and, and strong women who are, mm -hmm. who are, you know, playing with the fate of the galaxy. Like, he's got this great stuff. He's just so ahead of his time, and he's also too high above, and maybe maybe actually high, I don't know, but uh, too high above uh, a lot of our th our um, like pop um, consumption that, uh, and, and I, I, I say that both as a compliment and a critique because I, I agree with the accessibility of it. I shouldn't have read it three times and still find, and just now got the, got, got the references, you know. Um, Why but. do you say shouldn't? Because I think there is room for a range of books that are the popcorn books that we oh. just blow through and have fun, and then those books that just really yeah. make us dig for it. I want, like, okay, this, I love Tolkien, right? I love The Lord of the Rings, and I have reread them again and again. I still see, see new things, but I didn't have a hard time understanding what was happening the first time. Like, I still at least got it. I wonder, though, time. how much of that is the product of the era in which we were reading it. Because sure. some sure, of sure. the commentary I was reading about the time when Doom came out, people who lived through the 60s saw a lot of things a lot more directly than maybe obvious to current generations. And so I think accessibility sure. on some of the themes may even just depend on what your era is. Oh, sure. Yeah, that's possible. I definitely think also Dune influenced uh, Game of Thrones heavily. Yeah. I think Game of Thrones is almost like a like I just kept seeing everything that, from totally. everything from the giant creatures that no one everyone's afraid of and maybe doesn't even think but one person can ride them yeah, or yep. like a group of people can ride them them being the dragons. Uh, blue glowing eyes yeah. uh, <laughs> with a group of um, hidden uh People that you know are able to suddenly amass a great army and you know wreak havoc on the power structure. Um, you know, just uh, the houses, uh, the great houses, trying to sure. gain more and more power. Nobody's really a good guy. Um, you know, all that kind of stuff is is very much present in Game of Thrones. It feels almost like a check mark right. thing for me as yeah. i was as i was reading dune i was like okay yeah it sounds like that idea mm -hmm. was okay that idea as well kind of crazy um you know even like spirit you know walking and being able to see the future mm -hmm. and all that kind of stuff is very present brand yep, yep for sure mm -hmm. yep I've only seen random episodes of the simpsons but i've still run across dune showing up on the simpsons totally. more than once that's uh, I think it shows up on uh, animated shows a lot because animated shows more likely to be able to throw in a sandworm without a yeah. huge CGI pop budget. culture yeah. pop yeah. culture references. Yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll get a lower decks episode with it any any day now. It'll be absolutely. Yeah. All right, so um, unless you guys have like had one reference you were dying to give, I want to talk about your predictions for Denis Villeneuve's version of Dune. Now that we finished the book, what do you want to see? What do you think is going to happen? Um, I'm going to start with Tyler on that one. Ooh, I, I, uh, honestly, I have a very, it's a small request. It's not, it's not that big. I want it to be good. 
I mean, there you go. I, I want it to be good. Low bar. You know, it's it's a low bar. It's small, but um, I, I hope he doesn't get, uh, you know, the Hobbit trilogy with it, where it just yeah. it, we need it to be huge, gigantic, overblown, over over bloated, um, you know, and it just tells the frankly, it tells the story as as it is. Now they're gonna have he's gonna have to adapt things because there's a lot of narration mm-hmm. and not a lot of conversation you know yeah I mean, there are conversations but but i i think you have to do a lot to, of showing not so much telling yes yes honestly he's he's really going to need to do that and i think you know so thinking of of blade runner blade runner 2049 or arrival um so arrival uses uses narration and so you know he's not uncomfortable doing that if he needs to uh and you know he could be using the princess irulan epigraphs if he needs to as well um but but at the same time blade runner 2049 is a very cerebral movie with a lot of silence mm-hmm. and vivid imagery so he may be able to you know to strike some balance between the two of those um i i would be very intrigued to see you know how he how he pulls it off yeah, but um, there's going to be a lot more implicit stuff yes. that it'll be interesting to see, having read the book, how that mm-hmm. changes what you understand about what you're seeing versus what right. just gets missed in the background as part of the gorgeous wallpaper. Right. Um, so we did the Villeneuve episode uh, in 2020, uh, where we went through three of his films. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, as a part Spiders. of that, uh, <laughs> as a part of that homework, Peter and I actually watched more of the films than we talked about uh, in the episode. But from that, I know that women play important Mm -hmm. roles in his films. And I'm expecting an expansion or a deepening of the female roles in Dune in his representation of it. Um, I'm also wondering about his representation of Paul because he's shown that he can do gray, ambiguous characters. Whereas like the previous adaptations of Dune, they just make Paul really moody more than anything, mm-hmm. which is like just <laughs> annoying. Which they cast Timothy, Timothy Chalamet for that reason, uh, to be honest. <laughs> so he'll, he'll do that. So, so I'm like, I'm hoping that this version, even if they have Moody in there, because I mean, Paul, you know, his age, that's appropriate, but I'm hoping that there will be um, better quality acting to represent all the weirdness that Paul is going through. So, yeah. Um, Chris? Yeah, I mean, from, from what I understand, this is going to be two films, correct? Yes, but um, so that means film the second. So that means there's going to be a break somewhere in the story. My feeling is this is all going to be mostly told through flashback. Um, We're probably going to start where the book starts and then begin to put things together through flashback. Because Zendaya is in this movie. She plays Chaney. uh, Chaney. Um, And so, you know, like we we know that many of the pieces that don't show up until book two or book three of the first novel, those pieces are in the movie that we're getting part one of the movie that we are getting. Um, you know, my feeling is, is just from, from what I can understand, because I have a feeling they're going to be, you know, the, the emperor won't even be in this. Um, we may, we may get a mention of him, but it's going to be a much smaller story. Um, it's going to be basically, um, Paul and Jessica, um, and then, you know, him coming to grips with the fact that his father, has died um, and beginning to understand what, you know, 
the, the training from the Freeman, what that means to him. So I, I have a feeling there's going to be a lot of training sequences. Uh, there's going to be a lot of learning how to ride worms. Um, and my feeling is, is the last scene in this movie is going to be him getting on a worm. And it's going to be like, boom. All right. Yeah. Now we're going to go. Mm. Now he's learned. He's moved from the boy into the potential warrior yeah. slash leader of the the freemen and now they can go fight the harkonnens mm. that's going to be that's my feeling is is the, the, that's the arc that we're going to get from him over the first the first um, movie peter i am the kind of person who avoids trailers who i haven't even up until recently, I hadn't even looked at the cast list on IMDb for the Villeneuve because I don't want to know anything about what's going to come. Yep. Therefore, I don't have predictions. Um, but because I have taken a pretty deep dive into the work that Villeneuve has done in the past, um, I am quite sure that he will produce, uh, he will be able to elicit strong performances from all of his actors. Mm -hmm. Um I was actually kind of disappointed that he he had kind of big name stars because he's just done so well in the past with people that I'd never heard of before. Mm -hmm. But okay, I'm not prejudiced against big name stars. I'm sure that they can do the job too, <laughs> you know. Um, so I'm, I'm excited to know that there are actually going to be two Dune movies. Uh, this is news to me. Thank you. Um, <laughs> And I just that was the plan anyway. I'm not, I mean, again, like I can't find it anywhere, they, but no, they, I know that was the plan. That is, as far as I know, too, that that's the plan. I don't know that we know when this ends. I suspect mm. it'll end somewhere before that, that time jump because so that actually there's yeah. a reason that there's a time jump in filming, even so. Yeah, but we'll see. Yeah. I just hope that everything that's gone on with um, pandemic restrictions and everything that's yeah. done for scheduling, I really hope that that second part of the movie gets made and yeah. released. And doesn't that it doesn't turn into film. Villeneuve's Dune. <laughs> yeah. Yep, yep, yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. Okay. Um, so we've sort of touched on pieces of this already, but to, to sort of wrap up the primary discussion, I want to think about our reactions to the book overall. Does this book deserve its classic status? Is this really one of the best novels of the genre? And is it still relevant to today's audiences? And I asked that last question with a, what do you recommend to our listeners for reading this? Um, I'm going to start with Peter on this one. Uh, yes, I think it deserves its status as a classic. Um, I personally have a hard time saying, well, this thing is the best in this genre. Um, I will say that after rereading it, I, I definitely want to read at least the rest of the novels written by Frank Herbert, mm -hmm. if not all of the novels. <laughs> That's a lot. Um, I mean, I can think of other science fiction novels which have given me more delight, but I also enjoy having a nice crunchy thing to sink my mental teeth into. Mm -hmm. And so Dune is definitely that for me. Um, and so, no, I did not answer the question, is this one of the best novels of the genre? And is it relevant to today's audiences? Um, I think that given the environmental concerns and the critique of power structures, if people actually clue in on that, uh, I think it is very relevant today. Hmm. Tyler. 
Yeah, I I think it it for its as we've said for its DNA throughout throughout sci-fi and and other fantasy properties absolutely. Um, and I would give him I would give the same honestly the same caveat I give to people reading Lord of the Rings. I don't I don't just ta- toss Lord of the Rings to everybody because it is dense, it is deep, it's difficult. Um, it's it is a it is a a difficult trilogy to get through. Um, well, difficult single book with it split into three parts, kind of like Dune. Um, I would just say, know that going into it. Know that you're, it's not an easy thing. It's got big concepts. Um, it, but I would also, I would even say it's harder than, um, harder than Lord of the Rings because it's got, it's got lots of moving pieces. He, he tells often rather than he shows. Um, and that his concepts are maybe even more, yeah, more out there. So yes, I, I would say yes, it is, and in that it does deserve that, but it is not. Um, it just is not as accessible. That's the caveat. Mm-hmm. Chris. Yeah, I mean, I think I've I've already kind of felt my gave, gave my feelings <laughs> on this. Does it deserve its classic status? Yes, simply because of the influence and the wake that it has made in the sci-fi world. There's no doubt. Dune is a classic. It is a heavyweight. It is the best-selling sci-fi novel of all time. That's crazy. Yes, of course. Is it one of the best novels in the genre? I have no idea. I've not read enough books to even tell you that. So I, I, I'm not the expert in that. Is it relevant to today's audiences? No. Um, that is what I will say is you have to, you really have to go through the weeds um, in order to figure out what's happening. And I, I don't want to say relevant. That, that's wrong. Maybe it is relevant. It's more about um, is it as accessible uh, to today's audience? Uh, I think probably not. It is It is not a very accessible novel. And just like Tyler was saying, this, this, this book needs to come with a, a warning label um, that it is going to be a difficult read. Um, you're probably not going to understand everything. You should probably do this with a group. And, um, you know, I hope... That those of you maybe who read it with us and are listening to this podcast still, not just the four of us, mm-hmm. like I wouldn't have done it. I would have stopped. I have no idea when if I didn't have, you know, if it wasn't for this. Um, I'm glad I did it. Um, I, I think it was important to do, um, but it's not my cup of tea. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, it, it's not accessible. Is it relevant? Yeah, I guess I guess it is. It would be relevant in, 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 in that particular phrasing of the question but it's not very accessible uh it is a difficult read yeah okay um i also agree it definitely deserves its classic status it says important things it does important things but also it it's actually made it out of um um the ghetto of books that um are important that never find an audience it has found audiences throughout the generations since it's been published it has influenced creatives and content makers of all sorts it's got a presence in video games in music uh it's everywhere um i do think that one of the things that makes it stand out in the genre is that um in the way it's trying to say some things it's in conversation with the past i think it's relevant to the present and the future Um, Because as long as humanity organizes itself, there will be structures and systems and questions of power and what it means to be a hero. I think it's actually also really important 
I mean, superheroes are, you know, those stories are big things uh, in Marvel movies and DC movies. Um, so many kids stories, there's a lot of that going on. Um, uh, we are awash in these kinds of stories. And one of the things they like about this work is it makes you go, okay, so you want to be able to fly or, you know, have whatever powers, but it does make you think about the implications of those things. And it is a Cassandra book in that it is, is crying out the warnings of what can go wrong. But I think there's value in that when it helps expand our thinking um, in the way that Star Trek is important in giving us a vision of uh, an aspirational vision um, of the future. I think it also helps to understand the ways in which if we continue on as we are, um, we could um, just perpetuate the cycle of war and violence. It doesn't have to be our future. And so I think we need both types of storytelling um, and others. I don't want to make that binary, but we need these types of storytelling to uh, make us really dig in and think harder about the world that we live in, what it means and what our part is in that, who we give um, our power to, to represent us. I think all of that matters. So um, I think it's highly relevant to today's audiences. I certainly agree with the caveats. Not everyone's going to find this fun reading, but there's a whole subsection of science fiction that's idea stories. For some people, they want the world that is deep and crunchy. They want the ideas. And this is a great example of that slice of, of science fiction. And for that, this book is for you. Yes. Can I can I add something that one of the reasons that I appreciated it um, is that it's not just a science fiction novel. Mm -hmm. He also makes uh, allusions to like antiquity. Mm -hmm. So yeah. um, in the family history of the Atreides in universe, uh, they trace themselves back to the family of Agamemnon. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the house of Atreus. And, yep. yep. Yeah. And mm -hmm. um, throughout the novel, like every new section is introduced by a short quote, maybe sometimes a full paragraph, by Princess Irulan. And we only ever actually meet her on screen in the last scene or last two scenes. Yeah. But what that reminded me of was the uh, medieval um, Eastern Roman princess, Anna Komnena. Her father had been the emperor in Constantinople. She and her husband, who she was betrothed to when they were both infants, were set to be next in line. So she was going to be um, co-ruler with her husband after her father died. But then things changed. Her brother ended up taking the throne. She was involved in a political plot to overthrow her brother and rule as empress in Constantinople. Um, she failed. She ended up, I mean, this woman was highly educated in philosophy, history, the classics as they existed then. And instead she ended up um, being stripped of power and she contented herself with writing histories. Oh. And yeah, so huh. I don't know that Frank Herbert was setting this up as a, a parallel, but it was striking to me. Mm -hmm. Well, she certainly and, gets into some political machinations in Dune Messiah, for sure, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and who tells the history? Yes, that's, yeah, very very good point. I that's did not quite put the legacy. Together. Yeah. Absolutely. Oh, interesting. So, yeah, I would 
definitely say heed Chris's warnings, though, if you're someone who's yes. coming into this for, you know, action and all of that sort of stuff. Um, there's a lot to be had here, but if that's really your goal in reading it, you're going to be yeah. disappointed. And so yeah. that's, it, I think that's a valuable uh, warning. It reminds me of what I thought when I read uh, Asimov's Foundation. I, I I got into it and going like, oh, this is one of the greatest pieces of sci-fi ever. It's it's the foundation, foundational to everything, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and I read it and I was like, yeah, this is boring. <laughs> real, real boring. <laughs> I, so I it's I don't think it's iconic, you know, particularly iconoclastic to to disagree with a, with a, 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 a what is what is held as a mainstream opinion or at least to challenge it. So good. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I'll always do, ladies and gentlemen. I this is why we bring Chris to be on. The challenger. <laughs> well, I mean, this is one of the bring great us things all down. about the makeup of this podcast, though, is we're all coming at this from different positions and perspectives and values. Yeah. And I think that we've done a pretty darn good job of illuminating ass. I mean, we've left out some of the stuff with the Baron and things like that, but I think we've really dug in even deeper than I expected us to in a lot of really yeah. interesting ways. And I'm hoping our listeners will walk away from Dune, especially once you've like read it like Peter did, you know, once as a kid and hadn't since and going, I oh, didn't more know than that. once as a kid. Okay. Yeah. But like the way the experience of reading it can change over a lifetime. Um, mm -hmm. Especially. So if you're a rereader, there's a lot to find in here that you might've missed before um, in the way that the uh, tower and I talked about before, etc. So there's there's a lot here for those who just love digging in and becoming experts on and are doing all the pieces. As Peter was reading it, he would he would pop up and go, "Look what I just noticed!" And he like kept pointing out these things. I'm like, I just read that section. I don't remember seeing yeah. that. And yeah. so like as Chris had pointed out, reading together with others is definitely a valuable experience. Yes. Yeah. No doubt. And I appreciate it. Thank you guys for doing that with yeah. me because I would have never done it otherwise. Yeah. So I, I had a good time. If nothing else, I had a good time to being able to get on here and discuss it with you Absolutely. guys. Awesome. Well, and to that end, you know, to our listeners, what's, you know, do we, do we keep doing this? First of all, do we keep doing a, a, a book club, you know, maybe once a, once a season or something like that. And we, we spread it out. And, and then what would, what's next? What do we do? Do we do something, something really big? Do we do, you know, something, something small and obscure? Let us let us know. We definitely would would be open to suggestions. Certainly. Um, before we close out Dune Book Club, this is your last chance to you know swing at something or or ooh ooh I forgot about this. Anything from you guys? Watch Jodorowsky's Dune. Everybody, everybody, go do that. Watch Jodorowsky's Dune. So good. Peter. Well, I mean, there's so much else that I would have liked to have discussed, but. Yeah, we're out of time, and I really don't <laughs> want to inflict it on Chris. Okay. Chris, no, I'm I I'm I'm good. I feel like I have done as much talking about Dune as <laughs> my little heart can muster. But I would love, yeah, yeah, no, no, I I'm I'm good. Thank you. Okay. Thank you very much. Um, my final comment would be that um, uh, the Sci-Fi Wire website has a really interesting article on Dune and religious appropriation that if you were waiting for us to discuss that and we never got around to it, that's actually a pretty handy guide to thinking about the way religion is used in this story and uh, what its value is or is not in it. So I just wanted to make a point of pointing that out. So, okay. Um, as 
Tyler noted, we'd love to hear from you guys. Did book club, is book club something you'd like to see us do more of? Um, I don't know at this point what works I want to tackle because this was both a lot of work and really rewarding. So we'll see. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but I would be interested to hear from our listeners what you liked about this, what you would like to see us do next. Um, this episode is also our season finale for the season of the Geek Card Check. We do have a bonus episode or two that are probably going to show up in the next couple of months, um, which we have alluded to, I think, on more than one episode. Um, yeah. But this is our season uh, finale. Yeah. So I wanted to um, say a special thanks to Peter for joining us throughout this series for absolutely being our resident Frank Herbert avatar and um, <laughs> sharing his insights and benefits of all of the rereads that he has done. Wow. That's been a lot of work. You're awesome. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Thank you. It's, it's really my good. pleasure. Really fun. And thank you for the invitation to join in absolutely. and giving me a reason to reread Dune again. See, we're just such horrible people making you do that. <laughs> yeah. You're welcome. You're welcome. Okay. All right. So reach out to us, listeners, at Geek Card Check on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. We're probably most active on Twitter. Um, but you can uh, reach out with your questions and ideas, opinions, things we missed, all of that um, from those places. Until next time. But the test of a man isn't what you think he'll do. It's what he actually does. Mm -hmm.